Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kanturi and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. Before I formally introduce my guest as well, I added a 30 seconds clip which will let you know what she is all about. To the audience I have to say, knowing you for this short period, you jumped on helping to me on a personal level. and to everyone out there who is listening to this i had i have my cousin living in sweden and she was going through some domestic abuse relationship and she was living in shelter right now and i requested uh, her help isabel's help to help me or my cousin over there and i was able to get an answer from her in less than 5 minutes and i couldn't thank her more than what i'm doing today but anytime if you if i can do anything for you i'll always be there thank you oh, so much thank you so much i just wish that i was in sweden seriously to, to to help your cousin in any way today i have my dear friend uh, isabella rodriguez and i actually asked her to give a little introduction about herself to me so that i can talk about it uh, but more than what she gave to me i wanted to talk about what she actually meant She spoke about her story over and over again and she actually managed to change our to get a change in the laws that protect the children in domestic violence cases in Sweden. And also like she also mentioned herself somewhere which I read like we are not alone and we just need to raise our voices louder. Her documentary says something on her on her life and on her lessons won a companion piece award. Now I want to her to tell her story in her own words welcome to the show isabella thank you so much thank you so um i'm just going to introduce myself i am isabella rodriguez and i'm 28 years old i am original from sweden stockholm but i live now in costa rica together with my husband my two baby dogs um and i'm learning spanish as much as i can and today i am a confidence coach i build mastermind retreats here in costa rica with my husband we have couples retreats we have the feminine power retreat and the high end ticket retreat and i also um have a book called isabel then and now which i wrote about my my past life <laughs> kind of thing but what happened in my life before and also my documentary movie say something which goes hand in hand together um and today i help women all around the world getting their confidence back and and also women who have been through any kind of traumas like abuse sexual abuse anything like that because getting out of those situations can be very very hard because we're all stuck in a certain pattern that is not very beneficial and not serving us very well and it's hard getting out so that is what i'm doing today i really love and helping and changing women's life but it also it hasn't really been this good in my life <laughs> always because it started it started really bad for me i mean very dramatic because when i was a, a young child i was one year and two months my father actually passed away in a car crash and that was my first real trauma uh it affected me in a way that i never had a father i never had a male figure in my life really to turn to and also the the sadness it brought on to my mother and uh my brother as well because i have a big brother who's 6 years older than me uh we don't have the same father um but my father was still in his life right So that was my first trauma um growing up without a father figure and that also led to my mother wanting to have love. I mean she was I would say she was kind of lost in her own way. She was very young when she had her first child and she she just wanted to be loved really. But she usually attracted the wrong men into her life. Um and uh one of those men is when I was 4 years old He had a son who was 12 years old and uh he actually sexually abused me as I was 4 to I think almost 6 years old. Um and my mom find this out because I was in a car with her and I showed on an ice cream cone what I used to do with this young boy's penis really and that's how she found out I was sexually abused. And um 
this was in the 90s. I guess my mom, nobody really knew how to deal with this problem and deal with such a young child being through what I've been through. So the, the, we really never addressed it uh, or really dealt with it. So as I grew older, I was very the, 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 the black sheep in the, in the class or in the family. I, I had anger issues as a very young child and I had extremely emotional um, roller coasters. Like I was very, um, how do you say, out, not outrageous, um, show, well, showing my emotions very, very well. And it was up and down, up and down all the time. And instead of really addressing this in school, um, I got punished for it. Hmm. which you know kind of makes sense oh that annoying child but what was really going on was I was living throughout my traumas and like living through the consequences of my trauma as a, as a young child right so I really really never felt like I fitted in I always felt like an outsider and I always felt like everything was my fault hmm. I always got the blame for it uh, and as I grew older I was I was 11 years old uh, when my mom met the man of her dreams, right? And also, I was super happy when she met this man, actually, because my mom was, she didn't have much money. She was poor. She had three jobs. I barely saw her. I had to take care of myself from the age of, I think it was six, you know, doing my own food, taking care of the home, helping cleaning. I mean, basic stuff but as a child I needed my mom I really wanted my mom so I became more like I needed I needed attention you know doing the wrong things to get attention but anyway so for me when she met this man of her dreams I felt that oh now maybe economy will get better my mom doesn't have to be so stressed out maybe I can see my mom more you know like that uh but it turned really quickly and we moved in with him and his two daughters um very quick and things escalated very quickly there too because he started to have very much aggressive he started with these controlling rules um for instance like the drawers in the kitchen if you didn't close them like all the way in if you forgot that it was it was house of hell really. Or if you put the mayonnaise in the wrong uh, shelf in the refrigerator, for instance, or if you came five minutes late, you didn't get dinner. Uh, you didn't have, you, you couldn't eat whenever you want. You had to ask. You couldn't just go as you wanted. You couldn't call whoever you wanted on the phone because he controlled that. Who's, who's been calling today? Did you think was also, the same thing for with his own daughters as well? Or is he just, just with you? No, this was because their his daughter lived with her mom each and other week, right? So every time that when they came, he Ooh. also drank, but he drank less alcohol when they were there. Ooh. And as soon as they came in the door, he switched completely his uh, temper, his attitude, his voice. Uh, so he he was always like two sided, hmm. always, and it was always my fault. If it was something falling in a room, it was like Isabel, what are you doing? And it could have been his daughter. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Oh, you know, so okay. it, it was always blame. And it was always the smallest things. Like if I had a TV on, it was too loud. It, it didn't matter. He found something to complain about all the time when it came to me. He really, hmm. really put me in, um, in like a pointy situation. So he could then later punish my mom for it. Right? Oh. So he did not yeah. stop with you. He did it once. He he hit my head into the wall. Uh, it was one incident where he was actually asleep, and I came home late from a friend's house, and I was hungry, so mm. I ate food. And he woke up and he saw that I was eating food, and I wasn't allowed to eat food, especially when he was asleep and he didn't know. So he took the food, throw it out, and scream at my mom, who was in the shower, how I was a lazy motherfucker that needed to be punished. It was crazy. So anyway, that incident, he actually punched my uh, face in the wall, holding my shirt, grabbing me up on the wall because I was eating, basically. Uh, okay. um, but he was on top of me all the time, screaming, 
chasing me on the door because you couldn't shower more than 10 minutes either. So you had a limit on that too. So he will be banging on the door, almost like the door was going to fall in if you showered more than 10 minutes. So it was, it was, and whatever I did, it was wrong. Um, and um, th this was going on for, I think, three, three years until I actually lied to my mom because I, I started to feel so much hate toward this person. Like my anger towards him was so bad that I, at the end of this point, I couldn't even talk to him. I couldn't look him in the eyes because I had mm. so much frustration. Yeah. And it was fights each and every day. Like he will fight and scream at my mom, throwing things and punching the wall, chasing mm. my mom, throwing, I don't even know, but it was, it was a crazy time in that house. And whenever he's what, getting angry with you, will that pass down to your mom as well? Once he starts screaming with you and, and it is over with you, let's just say he screamed at you. He wanted to say whatever he wanted to say to you and it is done. But will he go back with that same thing to your mother as well and start with her as well at the time? Yes, yes, exactly. He will, he will have that as an excuse to have a fight with her. So whatever I did, it, we were not allowed to eat in the living room, for instance. So one morning I actually did, and he was not home, he was at work and I was about to go to school. So I forgot to put my plate out. Huh. And that, that was an object he abused my mom with in, in her stomach. Hmm. Multiple times, she was laying on the floor, dragging her hair, putting that plate in her stomach, things like that. And one time I did a little thing in the, uh, on the floor when, when you have like a scratch. Well, he forced her to clean that away. And everybody who has ever done a, a scratch in the floor knows that you can't clean that away if it's ripped in the tree, right? So she had to clean it, lay on the floor and clean it for hours. So, I mean, things like that escalated very, to a point where we couldn't even stand it. We, flee, we flew from uh, the home two times, but it, each time we actually went back because he convinced my mom that he was gonna change, not drink as much, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm. But the third time I actually said to my mom that I had opened up in school to a, um, I don't know how to say it in English. It's not a psychologist, but it's like a school, it's a school counselor. Okay. Uh, which I talked to, but I never said anything, but I said to my mom that I had said something about how he was oh. behaving and how it affected me. And oh. I said that they will take me away if you don't move. Oh, so that, yeah. So that started the whole process of searching for a new apartment. And in Sweden, I don't know how it is in your country, but in Sweden, you have to be in line and have certain points and then you get an apartment if you don't I'm buy sorry. it, of course, but we needed to rent. Yeah. But my mom had kind of good points because she had lived with him for so long, right? Um, so we actually got an apartment, I think it, after like six or seven months. And back in that day, it wasn't, everything wasn't online. So you got a letter yeah. in the mail, right? And I had, I had to go every Tuesday and Thursday was the days when they could come in the mail. Hmm. And those days I'd have to have a note to school that said that I needed to go earlier because my mom worked, hmm. uh, you know, so I had to go earlier to pick up that letter before he came home. So he wouldn't know. Right. Hmm. So that's, how, that's how sneaky we were behind his back, trying to like survive and get out of there. Um, and then we finally got the letter that said that we had got an apartment. It, it was only five minutes away from where we already lived, but at least we're gonna get our own apartment. So when so she this, tells him- For the five months, where were you living? We were living with him. Okay, okay. Yeah, we were still living with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I had to go from school earlier. So he hmm. would notice the letter. Oh, okay. Yeah, so when we got that apartment, she had to tell him, right? We're going to move, I yeah. want to separate. Mm. And he actually forced her to show the apartment and he managed to switch the apartment we lived in to an apartment on the other street of our apartment. So we lived in number one and he lived in number five, I think, or if it was four, whatever. So we moved on the same day into different apartments and that's when it all escalated we lived it 
we lived there for 16 days in that apartment until we had to go into a women's shelter because it got so bad. He moved in a bed into our home. He so put his like, food. Though you guys moved out of the place where he's living, he technically came back to you. Yeah. To control everything. He controlled where mama, when she left, what she did. And she even locked her in for two whole days in his apartment. Wow. Didn't leave her let her go or anything. So this whole time was crazy. I was for the most of the time out with my friend, Pilan. She was my best friend and I always stayed at her place because it was too much to bear at times, you know? Mm. But these 16 days were absolutely crazy. It was, it, it, it was so up and down and you can feel when something is so yes. wrong in your whole body. And on the 16th day, we had to flee because he had, um, he had threatened to kill her no okay um and me uh so she and she was so broken down like she wasn't the mom that i remember you know before this she was she couldn't barely stand up for herself she was quiet she felt insecure i mean you know it just the, at the point of breaking each yeah. and every time like yeah. each and every breath you could see that she was like falling apart yeah so uh, my best friend, her mom actually drove her, drove us both to this women's shelter that we got a spot in, right? Um, and we had to live there for, I think it was three and a half months or four exactly. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't go to school. I was 14 years old at this time, mm -hmm. a very sensitive age as well. So I couldn't go to school. And I remember I felt so much anger. I felt not only anger but i felt that it was so unfair yeah because we had to sit in in, in a woman's shelter yeah while he was a free man going out doing whatever he felt like and we couldn't buy stuff we didn't have clothes we 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 didn't know where to go when to go hmm. you know we had no idea about anything and i was thinking what, what am i doing with my school do i have to go another year while he's out there being free, it's mm. so unfair. Um, so this whole time, we were supposed to go in therapy too. I mean, my mom did. I couldn't because I was so closed out and in so much hate and in so mm. much anger. And also at this time, I really had to take care of my mom. Mm. I mean, my mom, she couldn't even leave the women's shelter at all. At the time and you were talking to your school counselor, did you get any chance actually to talk to him, him or her about any of these things that were happening to you? No, I think I mentioned that I was mad at him, mm -hmm. but I was terrified to say anything uh, because if I said anything and he will find out, I, I thought seriously yeah, that he yeah. would either kill me or my mom. Mm. So I was terrified to say anything. Mm. And also I do believe that it, it was normal. It would, it uh, becomes a normal, like a normal thing, basically. It's like, okay, maybe it's supposed to be like this. Maybe I'm doing everything wrong. I thought I did everything wrong and it was my fault. So it is like a self-blaming thing instead of even understanding what's correct and what's wrong. Exactly. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So at this point, when we were living in the, the women's shelter, it was, you know, trying to get to therapy. We did a police, um, um, it, it became a police case and it went up to trial as well. Um, but at this time, I do remember living in the women's shelter and this, the, the social, um, the social worker that were supposed to help us, right? Because you need help because first of all, you have an apartment you have to pay for. Who's going to pay for it? You can't go to your work. Hmm. You can't go to the school. School is going to wonder why is the child not in school? Sure. You know, so they have to help us with a lot of things. But the only thing I remember that they talked about was how much we cost. In their eyes, we were just a number. And that, I remember, made me so frustrated. Like, why is, why is that when I've been through a crime, like somebody's doing a crime towards me, abusing my mother, putting us down for so long, and now you want to tell me I cost too much for the society when my mom has worked her whole life? For what? You know what I mean? 
And especially in Sweden, because we're socialists, right? So, I mean, so that was one thing that I really had to take care of while we were living there, because they wanted to move us around. And just imagine, I mean, you have been abused, you're hiding from your abuser, you have a child to take care of, you have no idea where you're going, and they just moving you around because you cost too much and the women's shelter you are at the moment cost too much, right? Mm. And then you have to be thrown around in different cars and it's just, isn't it bad as it is? So I remember talking to this social worker and I said, you know what? My mom is not even my mom anymore. I can't even talk to her. She's paranoid. She thinks that he's around every corner here. I cannot even sleep at night. Like, and you want to talk about numbers and moving us around? Like, this is horrible. Mm. It's horrible as it is. I'm going to run away if you don't do anything about this. And I don't think that's going to look good in the magazine. Mm. So I had to do something to make a stand because my mom couldn't. So that was when it started for me to start taking care of my mom. And at 14 years old, that becomes hard for the relationship because mm. when she later got better and wanted, wanted to take the parenting role again, it, she couldn't. I was like, okay, so now you want to come, come in here and tell me what I can and cannot do? Mm. So we started to have a really, really bad and hard relationship between us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it ended up after we moved from the women's shop and when we actually got an apartment in the same city as him, mm-hmm. um, I had later on had to move to a foster care family to live there for a while so we could get away from each other because it was just crazy. Mm-hmm. And at this point, uh, the trial had already been and he, uh, he was um, accused for abuse, mm-hmm. but he didn't get prison. Oh. Uh, yeah, he got the, um, um, it's, 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 when you, um, I don't know how to say it in English to be honest, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, w- when, when you had to work outside, huh. like community work. Yeah. So you, he kind of got that. And then he also got a uh, restriction order. Okay. Okay. So he should not be meeting you. But instead, he'll be doing a community work around. Yeah, so he didn't get prison, but he got a yeah. felony. Like, he was felt. Um, and then he got a restriction order. And hmm. my mom got an alarm, right? Um, so anyway, time passed, and I, need to, I needed to go into a foster care. And I started to see this boyfriend of mine, which <clears throat> turned out to... It was my first real boyfriend, and he he was he was really, really bad. Uh, and I just remember, um, getting into this relationship and how I felt that this is not good. Mm. I'm feeling like I'm going in the same footstep as my mom. Mm. We were together for almost one and a half year. And, um, he abused me. He raped me and he, uh, verbally abused me for a very, very long time. And he was a little bit older than me and I was 15, about to be 15 at this time. And um, he, he used one thing that really tore me apart and that I had to work with for a long time, but he, he um, compared me a lot to his ex. Oh. So he would always say, uh, well, she would do that. She would have done that oh, well, why don't you do that? Because she did that. Mm. So I would do everything that he wanted me to, mm. basically. So I would, I would do things in, in, in any different way that he wanted me to. Sexually, anything that he could want from me, he got it because he used his ex, which I know today she never did probably not even half of the things that I had to go through because that, that was a manipulative way of him controlling me and getting what he wanted. Um, and that really, really affected me as I grew older, um, making me feel like I was never enough and I always Mm -hmm. needed to give more and I always compared myself to everyone around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this whole period of my life from the day I was 11 and my mom met this man, uh, to, I actually met my first real boyfriend that 
treated me basically the same. Um, and my confidence was just down the drain mm. completely. Um, but I do remember at the end of the relationship with my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend, um, thinking that I, I can't go in the same steps as my mom. Like, I, I just, I just can't. You have seen too um, much by then. Huh? You, you had too much of experience. You have seen so much by then. Yeah. And I also felt like this, this is, this is not how it's supposed to be, Sorry. you know, but, but when you're in love for the very first time in that age, you think that maybe it's, it's your fault. Maybe, you know, maybe this is how you're supposed to do as a, as a girlfriend. I don't know, you know, and yeah. every time you did something wrong, it was your fault. And okay, so maybe I'm doing everything wrong because my mom's ex used to tell me I did everything wrong. Maybe it is something wrong, you know? So anyway, I decided one night that this is it. This is, this is going to be enough. And uh, I left him, but he was after me for a long time. Like he wouldn't let me go. And he would text me, uh, crazy text me. like, um, I am in the car uh, with my guy friends. We're going to come kidnap you and hide you in my cellar. And I'm going to use you as a sex slave crazy crazy stuff and also one time he said watch out when you go on the street for acid and i took it as he's going to throw acid in my face right yeah and that was one of the things that followed me for a long time that i thought of course you will be looking happen over, anything. yeah you you will be looking over your shoulders all the time that you step all out. the time all the time no so leaving him was probably the best thing but it was so much anxiety mm -hmm. afterwards and, and horrible but then after a while he actually found a new girlfriend and to be honest I thought to myself thank god mm -hmm. now he will leave me alone and he actually did um but also this whole time I started to drink alcohol I started to do drugs I was into cocaine amphetamine uh I even smoked weed uh, because I had so much feelings inside. Yeah. I was basically, yeah, I was running from myself. Well, I thought I was running from everything else, but I was running from myself. So I, I went into that. It went into a down spiral of just negative self-sabotaging behavior. Yes. Uh, hmm. For years. Um, and I could never figure out really why I could never be happy or just feel normal. And I thought, what's wrong with me? I must be broken, you know, all those kind of things. Um, and it was not until I was 19 years old and I had also been to the States before and took a drug that got me a psychosis called white horse and i took it for three months because under this time i also started to develop an eating disorder that was that was kind of my way of running away from myself and controlling something mm. in my life because i didn't have control over anything else yeah. so losing weight and using that drug made me lose weight mm. so that 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 was the breaking point of my life because then i was paranoid i just was living in a in a uh, haze. I couldn't really think. I couldn't even see what I was doing anymore, and I was super, super, super depressed. And uh, I ended up in a hospital trying to commit suicide. And this was my point of like, okay, either I'm going to die next time, wow. or I will have to change my life completely. And the doctor actually said to me, you should have been dead. And if you don't do anything about this, you are going to be dead yeah. very, very soon. So there I am, 19 years old in the mental hospital. I was in there for two weeks and uh, I quit alcohol in there. Like I, I committed, I'm not going to drink alcohol. Uh, I got pills uh, for bipolar. They did a, um, like, a, like a research or like a a questionnaire of, okay, what's wrong with this woman, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I got bipolar uh, diagnosed type two, which I for many years thought, I thought for many years that I was bipolar. 
you know, something was wrong with me. That's why I've been behaving so crazy, doing drugs, being down, being up, you know, doing all these crazy, crazy things. But when I started to develop myself and went on my growth journey, when I finally stopped drinking, when I started to take care of myself, I realized that I am not bipolar. That is, this is caused because of all of the trauma I've been through. And now I'm living through those consequences. And that makes me feel so much emotions because I- filling up all the things from the childhood to the point that- Exactly, exactly. Mm. So, you know, I didn't heal myself because I refused to really I talked to a lot of psychologists, I did, but I never really opened up or really let go of things. I was more like very angry still. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all of the things that I was living through was because of my trauma, not because somebody labeled me with a diagnose. Uh, And I ate medication for that bipolar for almost, seven years and I never really knew how that was going to affect me either. So when I was on my growth journey, because when I got out of the hospital and I started to eat this medication and I stopped drinking alcohol, taking drugs and starting to take care of me, I also moved to Norway, my, my um, neighbor country. And I got myself four different jobs and I worked really, really hard. Hmm. And I saved up money to go travel the world because that was one of my dreams. So when I got out of my haze and I really started to look into, okay, so what's my purpose? What can I do? Like, if I'm not going to waste my life being high, you know, chasing the, the, the temporary highs, what can I do? And I was like, I want to see the world. I want to meet people. I want to learn. So that's what I did. I saved up all the money I could. And then I went on a world trip and this was 2014. So this is six years ago. Hmm. And when I was on this world trip, I was in Zambia in Africa and I met this amazing, beautiful man, which I saw and I was like, oh, so beautiful. And that man was about to bungee jump and the same bungee jump in Zambia as me. And that man became my husband. <laughs> so <laughs> that is how I met my husband actually. And it's been a journey. Um, so from there to today, I have really worked super hard and, you know, taking courses, educate myself, try different things. How can I overcome this? How can I learn about this? you know, to get to where I am today. And I also stick with a lot of stuff, like not doing drugs, not doing alcohol, being balanced in how I treat my body because it's easy to go back to bad habits. So what changed or what kind of a determination that you had, like what made you think that, okay, I don't want to go back to alcohol again or I don't want to do drugs again. What made you to actually take that stance against because it was either I'm going to die or I won't. Okay. That was my biggest thing. Either I'm going to die because I cannot, um, I cannot have alcohol in a middle ground where I cannot, um, for instance, I quit sugar as well because I realized what triggers me, mm-hmm. you know, and what I'm using to, have a temporary high or hide from my feelings. So I have to look within, okay, so what's going on here? Why am I turning to this now? Mm. So I had to really make a huge change in my life and I don't regret it at all. I mean, I, I feel better than ever in my life because I made those decisions because that is what really changed my life in the smallest step because it's about the small steps that becomes the big change. It's not like you wake up one day, oh, I'm going to change my whole life. You might have the feeling, okay, I need to do something, but it's those small steps, quitting the alcohol, quitting the cigarettes, starting to walk every morning, having a morning routine, you know, and then you implement these things one by one. And when one is good, you go to the next one. And then suddenly you have changed your life. Yeah. Yeah. But it's about not taking those big steps. Yeah. Sorry. Apart from your husband, is there any remarkable person or like, is there any other person that you have met in your world tour that made a mark on you on how you deal with your situations or like what kind of a journey you're going to have? Is there any other person that gave you that kind of 
influence. I mean, I met a, a lot of people oh, okay. throughout my journey, uh, and especially my world tour. I met a lot of guides mm -hmm. that taught me a lot of things, um, and people from different countries, of course. But I also remember I was in Bali, and I met Katut. I don't know if you heard of him. Katut is from Eat, Pray, and Love. It's it's the movie with Julia Roberts. Okay. And it's the guy that reads the palms, right? Uh -huh. uh, but he was so old, so um, his his son was doing it, and he really changed my life. He he read my 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 hands, and he was like, "Wow, I can see you have had a tough life, but I can tell you this much: you are going to have a very blessed life." And I was like, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> but so, yeah. not hearing that from somebody will definitely feel so good inside. Yeah, and he he gave me some advice, you know, and amazing man but also you know i learned a lot of things like i started meditating for instance i do yoga um and that was a lot of things because of i i, I went to different countries and cultures hmm. and i got to see how they live what did they do you know and how did they eat especially yeah. um so i learned a lot of things but um throughout the years i i met a coach which also changed my life she was christina her name was she was an amazing woman. She, she, she taught me a lot and, and, and I got my healing through, uh, through her sessions. Yeah. Learned yeah. it. Amazing. So yeah, continue with your story. Sorry. I just had the question. Oh, no, 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 no. So yeah, from 2014 traveling the world, I started a relationship on distance with my husband. And after I think it was two and a half years, we actually decided to move in together. We got married and then we moved in together. And um, he has been my, my, my greatest support and also making me believe in love again, because from everything I've been through in my life, I really, I really didn't believe in love at all. Mm. That was my, my, my biggest issue, I think, to, to overcome and let myself be loved mm. and also love another person because I didn't trust men. I had had so many bad experiences with men that I really thought that every man was a, excuse me, piece of shit. Yeah. I really thought so. And giving my trust to somebody was, was really hard. And it took us years to go through that, okay. to actually be brave enough and, and do it. Because all you know, it's, from the age of two was this kind of an abuse all around you. There was nothing exactly. positive or love that you have seen. So you will fall into the same pattern. Exactly, exactly. So for me, that was a huge challenge. And also, I had a lot of fear. Mm. Um, you know, people say always be fearless, but I don't believe in fearless. I don't think that fearless should be used because nobody is fearless. It's not about being fearless. It's about having the fear and doing it anyway. Yes. You know, so being brave and that that has really got me out of the comfort zone and starting to do all kinds of things uh because of that because of getting out of my comfort zone and starting to love and loving myself Ooh. you know coming from abuse makes you very insecure yes. um with love low um self-esteem you know and and not trusting yourself that you're good enough or you can do anything yeah so practicing that and actually having that love for yourself takes time but it's absolutely possible of course and i mentioned i mean i was introducing you or like looking at your profile and facebook and talking to you sometime before i have seen that you spoke about your film or documentary say something how was that exactly yeah life? So now what? i'm gonna I'm, now i'm gonna tell you what really happened with my story because 2010 uh, was the year when I had just came back from a high school year in Texas because I went to Texas um, 2009 to 2010 to study abroad. I came home and my mom had seen a uh, advertisement in the magazine mm -hmm. about a film team that wanting to um, highlight uh, the relationship between a mom or 
you know, a, a mom and a daughter or mom and a son that has been through abuse, how the life is afterwards, how they finding back to each other, basically. They mm -hmm. wanted to highlight that for our system in Sweden. So my mom contacted them and said, hey, I would like to join. You know, mm -hmm. I want to tell my story. And I think that she also felt like she wanted some kind of, not revenge, but she wanted the, the story to be told mm -hmm. and not being for nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. So we started the process and they were filming us for five years, five years that were not constantly with us, but they were with us for a long time, back and forth, back and forth, um, recording us, filming us when we uh, went through our things, you know, mm -hmm. especially my things, my eating disorders, my self-sabotaging and, you know, me growing together and solving a lot of issues with my mom. You know, I think I have seen um, the trailer for this, and I believe you were in the hospital at that time as well. In in that case, yes. yes. Okay. Because um, w when I was nineteen, being in the hospital, that was actually the the third time I I tried to commit suicide. Wow. Um, so I've been in and out, and also because I I used to get very depressed. Mm -hmm. I, I was high, and then I got depressed, and I got high, and usually I was in bed for two weeks. I didn't go to the bathroom. I didn't eat. You know, my mom had to call an ambulance. Like, I don't know what to do with my daughter. She's laying in a dark room. I, I can't, I can't handle it. What am I supposed to do? Mm. So I was in and out in mental hospitals to get help basically. Um, and I really wanted help, but it, it was, it was hard to actually get the right help. Um, but anyway, so we started this documentary, uh, movie recording and 2017, it, it, it was out, it was on the cinema, it was aired, everything. And we actually won the Kristallen Award in Sweden for best documentary movie 2017. And that was absolutely huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was huge for me and my mom because also that, that was a, not, not a sign, but a proof that, you know, we have done something that is actually changing. Yes changing the world yes yeah yes and, and, and the thing is after say something that that is when i also really started to find my purpose and my passion for helping people because when i open up about my story and what i've been through people contacted me almost daily saying i saw your documentary i i, I can't believe it i feel so related like i can relate to this thank you for opening up thank you for sharing Wow. You know, and I started to see, wow, that means when that I speak up, yeah, when I'm being honest, when I speak up and I'm actually telling my story, my truth, people can relate and I can actually help people that way. So one thing led to another. I started to share my story. I started to tell people how I got out of it, you know, and as I was going through this, me and my mom, we actually got in contact with you know, hire people with higher power. And we talked to something called Regeringskansliet in Sweden, which is uh, the, pol the people under the politicians that are actually handling uh, laws. Oh. So we told our story, how this affected me as a child, how this affected my mom, what they can approve with women's shelters, you know, how they can improve the system. Hmm. Because it's, when we got out of there, we were like, oh my gosh, it's so many things that's lacking, you know? So many people after us are gonna experience this. You have so we shared our- step of it from the childhood till that point, so you can lay it out better for them. Yeah, exactly. Like what, how can you improve this? And how, yeah. how can you make it better for the people today? So we shared our story and now, they're actually going to be a vote now in the in the, the higher politician about a possible law change amazing for that domestic cases for children in Sweden. That is amazing. So that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's and it's story everybody has a story, right? We all have been through things, you know, good or bad. Yep. And by sharing that, we can actually make a change in the world. True. And sometimes, you know, I talk to my clients and that has been through things and they're like, I want to share, but you know what? It's so many stories out there. Why would anybody listen to me? And I'm, I'm always like, you know what? 
Everybody has a unique story. Nobody has your path. Nobody has your strength. Nobody has uh, your cure to a certain problem. Yep. If you know something that nobody else might know or somebody needs to know, I think it's your obligation to share that yep. in order to actually change somebody's life and help them. Yep. So that's how I felt. So after Say Something, the documentary, I started to feel like I want to share. I need to do more. I want to give because... If I have survived all of this shit, to be honest, I know other people are sitting in that shit right now and I really want to drag them out of there and you know, be like, hey, it's a way out. Trust me. So true, so true. And when you mentioned like in the very beginning that your mother was looking for some kind of a love in her life, but she was attracting the wrong crowd. What do you actually, I mean, right now you being a coach, why do you think people will have that kind of an experience in their life? You attract people of the way you think about yourself, basically, uh, of your standards, your inner beliefs, your values. Hmm. And usually these types of men are looking for people that are a little bit insecure. Hmm. Not, in, not all the time. Yeah. Uh, but that that is what they see and that is what they look for so they can they can start manipulating manipulating them right mm -hmm. but i do believe that if you um are insecure and you have low self-esteem yeah. you have been through some kind of things maybe you don't think you're worthy or you're actually yeah. going for those types of men of the the prince charming because in the beginning they are prince charming yeah they will get you around their finger like this. Yeah. So we usually don't see the red flags very quickly because we're so blinded by all the charisma and all the gifts and how they put us on a pedestal. And because we might not have, have had that previous in our lives, somebody putting us on a pedestal, yep. then when somebody does that, we'd be like, oh my gosh, they're doing everything. Then after six months, they start to switch little yep. by little and then they are not the Prince Charming anymore. But then it's almost a little bit too late to get out because we're hoping for them to get back to that Prince Charming again. True, true. But unfortunately, that is not you actually realize it will be the time for you to leave them and walk out of that relationship. And you might have gone through so yeah. much by then. Exactly. And the fear of being alone and they, they, they put you down. Like nobody's going to love you. And you believe that after a while. True. True. That you cannot survive without them. Let me ask you another question. Like, I mean, I'm asking these questions to you since you are working as a coach right now to help other people. So I, I believe that you are capable of answering these things. Right now, when you mention uh, that you are, let's just say there is a person coming to you experiencing these kind of an abuse in their life. Where do you start mm. uh, and what kind of an area that you would start to work on them? Like, for me, if I'm having a child abuse like your case, and I'm having like a hard time mm. to even realize that I have gone through something, but I'm already showing you that anger or like I'm depressed coming to you. Where do you yeah. start working with me? What do you, what do you start talking or like where do you start it? Well, I always start with where you want to go because it's it's hard to start with anything if you don't know where you want to go. Perfect. Perfect. You know uh, what I'm saying? It, it's super important to know the positive instead of just looking into the negative because being through abuse makes you in a loop of very much negativity. It's negative about yourself, about the world, about everybody. And usually we are in a victim state. True. True. We don't see anything around us, but it's so important to look at where do I want to go? in order to start seeing certain behaviors, to start seeing changes, if we don't know where to go, you know? That where to go doesn't mean like you have to be a millionaire in the next 10 years, nothing like that. You just wanted to have a basic understanding. Okay, I wanted to come out of this relationship or this abuse, this kind of a depression or anything should do it, correct? Ex and who do you want to become is the most yes. important thing. Yes. You know, being a millionaire can be different things from, for everyone, but who do you want to become? Mm -hmm. How do you want to feel? Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So that's where you start. That is the thing that you need to lay out. So I always start with where you want to go. Who do you want to become? What kind and of that's how we lay out the work. Sorry. What kind of a steps are like, how long do you think? Of course, it, it depends on person to person to actually grasp what you're teaching or to put that into an actual perspective and work on it. It would be differently different from person to person. But since you are coach, like, I don't know, maybe five years now or four years. How soon? Do yeah, you... I've been coaching for three years, actually. Okay. Yeah. So, Sorry. No, no worries. So in your three years of experience, how soon do you think a person can, like an approximate time, the person can actually think through or come out of that mind block thinking like, okay, I have something that I wanted to come out of, or like I'm in depression, I don't want to be like this anymore. How, do, how, how long do you think that is actually taking any person in a minimum kind of a time to a maximum timing that you, you have seen in your experience? I mean, it's, it's very, very different. Yeah, from person to person yeah. and also from situation to situation um but anything is possible i mean i've seen people to get out really not from depression but have a wake-up call in one session okay. you know when they actually start like oh okay it's about asking the right questions because we do all of us have the answers inside of us it's just that we have never unlocked them True. I mean, if we think about it, our brain has a cap like a huge capacity of of knowing so much and, yeah. and, and grow. I mean, we have airplanes up in the sky. Somebody came up with that. Hmm. You know, it's about unlocking those things and unlocking uh, your your inner um, I call it your higher self and step into that. And, mm. get, and get over these old beliefs about yourself. That yeah. is the main thing, like the old beliefs. And when you start realizing things, and when you start being aware, you get this, aha. And then when you start living, going back to your life, you're starting to see, oh, I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing, yeah. Okay, now I saw it. And you start recognizing your pattern, your self-sabotaging pattern, how you, uh, confront people, how you talk to people, how you talk to yourself. And when you start realizing those things, it's when the process is already in, in going. You cannot go back from that because you, oh, wow. Okay, I'm starting to get this now. I'm yeah. starting to, to self-reflect on myself and I'm starting to grow. It's, it's very different, but going out from depression, I mean, I, if you have a very deep depression or you're, you're very, very sick within, I, I always refer to uh, a psychologist or a, 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 um, uh, yeah, well, a psychologist or a psychotherapy because I'm not a psychologist, but if, if you are able to, um, you, you are able to actually being, um, receiving the help and actually knowing that you can get out of it, that mm. is fine. But if you're really, really, really depressed and you need professional help, I always refer. Okay, okay. I mean, apart from asking these questions, you being a coach, if you remember, I had a personal experience with you as well. So when I was first time talking to you, you were sharing your story and I highlights kind of a way. And when I was connecting with you and explaining about my situation, you trigger my thought on something like when I said like I had been through domestic abuse and you mentioned like maybe your husband had something in his childhood that is not connecting with him properly so he's pushing that onto you. That triggered a lot of thought yeah. which I never thought about before and I felt like yeah maybe that is true right that that's how I got that thought and I was like trying to process like maybe that could be the reason for him to be behave like that. I'm not justifying that whatever he has done is correct but at the same time at least for me to have a closure or understanding on where this is going so yeah that, that's the reason i was asking you these questions on the show because i know you personally yeah i am actually like trying to understand or like i know the connect but yeah if you can explain it in your words that might help more people to understand where this is going oh yeah no but i mean every person in this whole world has been through some type of things. 
I do not, this is my own opinion, my own belief. <clears throat> I do not believe we are born evil. We live through our circumstances, our experiences. We are carved into the person we are because how we were raised, what people we had around us, what we have been through. And even as much as I have hate, hated my abusers, I needed to forgive, not, but not only to forgive them, you know, like releasing it, but for myself, because I am the only person really going around with that blame, with that hate. And all the fingers are pointing at me when I am throwing out all my emotions. That is only going to stop me from progressing in life. So it's and that you if we all like have been... Sorry. It is interesting that you have mentioned like uh, forgiving your abusers. So I, I still have a hard time to understand forgiving means. Let's just say when you're like walking on the street, if somebody hit you by mistake, if they say sorry, you'll just say like, yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with it. And you just walk away because that was not intentional or that was not meant to be done at all. But these abusers are these people that are actually doing it. For example, whatever you have gone through, the person was in their cautious field, whatever the traumas that they might have gone through, but still they themselves are a human and they are in full conscious, but they still did that to you and you were being put through such a horrible trauma for so many years, being an innocent child, you did not have a proper childhood at all. They just stole your complete childhood. Yes, I understand when you said like, I don't want to hold the anger inside me. I wanted to let it go because that is hurting me only, which is true. But forgiving them, just like as I just gave an example, is not that easy or like, I don't know how to even process that kind of a thing saying like, okay, that if you are thinking about some bad things to happen to them, yes, you are not really thinking about it, but what is that forgiveness meaning? Okay. So forgiveness can, can look different from, for, for everyone, really. Yeah. But <clears throat> my definition of forgiveness is not, I am not forgetting what you have done towards exactly. me. Exactly. But um, I don't want I'm to letting go. Yeah. yeah. But I am letting go of any attachment that I have against you for what you have put me through because I cannot control that anymore. Like I cannot control what, what you have um, pushed on me because of your own experience. I, I can never control that. I will probably never know why. It doesn't make a difference why. I don't know. Exactly. But I cannot hold those emotions towards you because it's reflecting in on me and my future and what I'm doing today to progress. Amazing. That's what I, actually, that's the thought I had. But when I hear different perspectives, as you just mentioned, like everybody has a different view of looking at things, hearing different perspectives sometimes get me wonder, like, can you really forget or like say, oh, okay, that's okay. I'm fine right now. No, it's not. You are broken so much deep inside you and you are looking for therapy. You are still in therapy for years together so far right now. But you, can you actually face that person and say like, oh, okay, there is nothing. I'm fine with it. I don't think I can do it. That's why I just asked the same question to you. You, you never have to be fine with it. I don't think anyone should ever be fine with being abused but it's a difference of accepting okay it has happened but i am not holding on to it anymore i agree with that 100 percent um i would say i mean everything is possible and we all go through everything in in different ways but one thing that you should always know you are not alone it's so many people out there that wants to help or, you know, sharing, opening up their heart and their story. Um, because that is one thing I remember. I felt so alone growing up, super alone. I felt like nobody understood me. And every time I did something wrong, it was wrong with me. But I reacted out of yeah. emotions that were stuck. It was a trauma. It was an unhealed wound there. And sometimes it's really, really hard to go through that. And I, I do believe that 
if you just know and hear it enough time that you are not alone it's there it's people out there to help you know and that's why i wrote my book or i shared my story and today 10 years later from when i was you know abused it's much more especially social media it's helped to get there and you are really not alone i really want you to take that with you Okay, thank you for tuning in and you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.